Please take your Bible and turn with me this evening to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. Mark's Gospel, chapter 9. Enjoyed very much, the, as I'm sure you did, the men singing. Good to hear the Gospel put to music. Mark, chapter 9. We are going to break in at verse 14. Christ and his inner circle are coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And there is a hubbub going on at the foot of that mountain between the Pharisees and the disciples who had not gone up and a demon-possessed boy. Mark chapter 9, verse 14, let's read the Lord's Word. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him. And he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answereth him, and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. When he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything... Have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried, and rent him sore, and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. May God bless that public reading of His Word to all of our hearts for His name's sake. Would you please bow your heads 
and your hearts with me just for a moment. Ask God to come and meet with you, with all of us tonight around his word. Gracious Father in heaven, we assemble around the throne one final time before we commence preaching thy holy word. We confess that we need the Holy Spirit. We need his unction. We need light for this path tonight. Our minds need to be enlightened by him. We pray that he would be the great preacher this evening. Hide this man behind the Lord Jesus. O God, we pray that we would remember what Christ told this broken-hearted father as we think of our own needs and so many worry and fret. Bring him unto me. May that be our experience tonight. We will bring our broken experiences, our fears, our struggles to the Lord Jesus by faith in him. In Christ's name we ask it all and only for his eternal glory. Amen. Amen. This event from the life of the Lord Jesus Christ reveals one of the greatest struggles that Christians, regardless of how long they've walked with God, experience often in their journey to glory. When the journey is done, we'll be able to see so clearly the reasons for the mountains and the reasons for the valleys. The reasons that we found ourselves at times high and times we found ourselves very low. The sunny days when the sea of life was calm and we'll see why there were the dark days when the sea was raging. You would have thought that these disciples would have had no need to ask Christ that question in verse 28. Why could we not cast them out? At least part of the answer they should have known. I say this because when this boy's father said to Christ in verse 22, If thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Christ replied, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. You would have thought that a light would have gone on with those disciples. Ah, all things are possible to him that believeth. We must not have been able to do this because there's something defective in our faith. But they didn't. They waited till there was a private time when no one's around to hear them ask the question, how come we couldn't do this? When the Lord said this to this father, the, he, he immediately pointed out two things. The tremendous power of faith and the absolute powerlessness of unbelief. It would seem that the disciples didn't grasp what the Lord was saying in answer to this father's request. It was as clear as 
the nose on their face. If all things are possible to him that believeth, then the obvious reason for their inability to cast out the demon from, of all things, a child, the reason was unbelief. That, in fact, is what Matthew's account records of Christ's answer to this question. Let me just read those two verses in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 19 and 20. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. This wasn't a case where they didn't possess genuine faith. You can't be a child of God and not be in possession of true faith. Nor was it a case where they hadn't tried to cast the demon out of that boy. I, I envision that every one of those uh, nine disciples tried well, you can't do it. Maybe I can. And it went through each one, and the demon was not going to come out. They had no doubt put forth their best effort. After all, they had enjoyed success in casting demons out before this. But this was a case where they could not. It's this dilemma both for the Father and the disciples, that showcases one of the greatest struggles that every Christian faces throughout his or her entire life. That's what I want to preach about tonight with the Lord's help. Struggling with the struggle between faith and unbelief. Struggling with the struggle between faith and unbelief. That struggle is captured in the words of the Father when He said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help Thou mine unbelief. It's a well-known text of Scripture. Do not let its familiarity breed contempt in your heart or mind tonight. No doubt you have prayed it often in a prayer meeting. You have prayed it often in the place of private prayer. Lord, I believe, help mine unbelief. I think we can all sympathize to some degree with the cry of this father who's watching his son writhing on the ground in front of him. His father, his heart is broken for his boy. He came looking for Christ, but he was up the mount. So he goes to his disciples and hopes that they will have the power to cast this demon out, this dumb spirit who only wanted the destruction of his son. Cast him out. He's facing a situation that seems on the verge of being impossible to turn around. After describing his plight, to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, if thou canst do anything, 
have compassion. He didn't say on me. He said on us. And help us. It wasn't just his boy that needed help. He needed help. He needed compassion. The Lord Jesus Christ tells him the real issue here was not about his ability to heal his child. It's about his father's ability to believe that Christ can heal his son. If thou canst, literally, if you are able to believe. It's not my ability to heal. If you are able to believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. This father sees instantly the truth of what Christ has just said. Not only about faith, but about unbelief. And so he cries out with those tears streaming down his face, Lord, I believe, help thou Mine unbelief. As you see, the, the father, his face just wet with tears. He's looking at his boy, just wallowing in the ground, foaming at the mouth. He knows what this demon has done so many times. They bring him to Christ, and he has a fit there. His heart is broken. Doesn't your heart go out to him? Isn't there a chord of sympathy that rises up within you when you just get this clear picture in your mind of what he's going through? How often this prayer has been on our lips, as I mentioned a moment ago. God has brought us to rivers that seemed uncrossable. And my, how we needed to get across to the other side. We have found ourselves in front of mountains that we could not tunnel through for the life of us. Waves have filled our little ship. And we have feared. We're convinced the ship is going to sink and we're going to go down with it. Our hearts have grown so cold at times that we think never again are we ever going to hear the Lord speak to us through a sermon or through the reading of His Word or meet with us in the place of prayer or just too cold, too impossible. Our children have gone off into the world, held by Satan's captive chains, and it looks like all hope is gone. But the Lord, the Lord in one way or another reminds us that nothing is too hard for Him. That all things are possible to Him that believeth. All things are possible to Him that believeth. Do not just read quickly over that, nod and say, yes, I believe that. Don't just believe it in your head, but pray for grace to believe it in your heart. All things are possible to Him that believeth. What things soever ye desire, Jesus said, 
What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Desire is an important word there. A deep longing for the thing you're wanting God to give you. Coupled with faith, pray that way and ye shall have them. We remember all these truths and promises. We've underlined them in our Bibles. We've made little notes beside them. We've heard sermons preached upon them. And during the sermon, as it may happen tonight, our hearts are stirred. But comes to the matter, we find ourselves at this impossible situation in life. And the faith doesn't seem to be there. We say the prayers, they're orthodox. We quote scripture, but believing he will give what we're asking is absent. And so we cry out with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. As I said a moment ago, this struggle with the struggle between faith and unbelief is a lifelong struggle. Not until we reach heaven will this struggle come to an end. So, with that in mind, let's look at this struggle that the Father has between His faith and His unbelief and see what fundamental truths we can glean that will help us in our struggle with faith and unbelief. My purpose. Every preacher must have a purpose in whatever he's preaching on, whatever the verse might be, whatever the passage, he must know his purpose. My purpose. When it's all said and done tonight and you walk out those doors and go home, you will understand something more and believe something more of the power of faith. And you will know how to struggle with your unbelief. First off, I want you to see critical point here in light of how we respond to these situations. This father's faith was real. It was real. Lord, I believe. This was not an empty profession of faith. Just hoping in saying that he might get his way and get something. Many do that, you know. They make just an empty profession of faith for nefarious reasons, but it's not coming out of a heart of genuine faith. They just say it. Now, this wasn't this man. He was dead in earnest when he said, Lord, I believe. This was a confession of his faith that arose from his heart, that arose from the depths of his being. Yes, he became painfully aware at that moment of how small, how weak his faith was. But the realization of his little faith, of the unbelief that still dwelt within his heart, didn't keep him from telling Christ that he still truly believed. 
didn't stop that from happening. He believed truly in his heart that Christ had the power to heal his son. He got it when Jesus Christ said, It's not my lack of ability to heal your boy wallowing in the dirt right now. The problem here right now is your unbelief. He got it. And the first thing he says, Lord, I do believe. You see, the reality is that faith and unbelief exist side by side in the life of every child of God to varying degrees. They coexist. It would be wonderful if we had that faith spoken of by the hymn writer William Bathurst. A faith that will endure, though pressed by many a foe. A faith that always stands secure through every earthly woe. A faith that shines more bright and clear when tempest rage without, that when in danger knows no fear, in darkness feels no doubt. It would be something wonderful if your faith and mine were always like that. But we find ourselves in situations where our weak faith cries out with the disciples, Master, don't you care that we're perishing? With Jacob, our unbelief cries out, all these things are against me. Jeremiah, a man of great faith, found himself at a very a time in his life when it was very feeble, and he says, my hope is perished from the Lord. Moses, a man of tremendous faith. Remember what happened in, in Numbers 11? The people were, they, got, they were longing for the leeks and the onions and the garlic back in Egypt, and they wanted meat to eat. They were sick to death of the manna. God says, okay, I'm going to give them manna, not for a day, not for a week, but for a whole month I will supply them with flesh. Well, you would have thought that Moses, being the man of God that he was, would have said, okay, waiting to see it. But that's not how he responded. There's 600 footmen, roughly maybe a million, a million and a half people. If, are we going to kill all the herds, the flocks? That wouldn't do it. If you brought all the fish out of the sea, that wouldn't do it. How in the world are you going to feed this many people? That was unbelief talking. It was a stressful, trying situation. It was, in his eyes, an impossible situation. God says to him, is my hand waxed short? Unbelief was there beside faith. But wherever you find weak faith and small faith and feeble faith, it is still every time true faith through faith. It may be weak faith, weak faith that, that doubts, seriously doubts some very plain promise that God has given in His Word. Weak faith that questions 
like Moses did, his ability. Moses did it. He questioned God's ability to provide flesh for these in the wilderness. Moses. I mean, you do see how incredible that is, don't you? What had he witnessed in Egypt? Miracle after miracle after miracle and ten plagues. He saw the Red Sea divide. Walls of water goes across on dry ground. Drowns the soldiers of Egypt. And he's actually saying right now, uh, this can't be done. Isn't that amazing? But we do it. How many times How many times has God answered prayer for you? How many times have you seen him come into impossible situations? And you're surprised. He answered my prayer. And still, and still in spite of it all, you doubt. You wonder if he can this time. This situation. My wayward child the thorn in my flesh, my falls into sin. Oh, it's not going to happen this time. In the early years in Orlando, we sort of a hand-to-mouth existence. You really live by faith. And there were times when I had to go buy dinner and use a credit card because there was no money and there was no food in the house. Doubting God. Start to doubt God. He's not going to honor His word to care for His people. And you start wondering, well, am I in the Lord's will at all? Very next morning, there was a check in the mail for $500. No one knew what that need was. No one but God. Of course, the heart is thrilled when the Lord answers prayer like that. But that wasn't the only time those things happen, and it happened, it arises again later on, and the cupboards are getting down again, and you wonder, maybe the Lord's not going to do this time what He did the last time. After all, I haven't been living like I should be living. I haven't been in prayer as much as I should be in prayer. I haven't been reading the Word as I ought to be reading the Word, and He has reason not to come and meet me at the point of my need and feed my family. And He does it again. And again and again. And yet we still doubt, don't we? We question his wisdom. This isn't the best thing. It can't be the best thing for me right now. Why did God do that? Why, 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 why? We question His goodness. God who is good all the time. He's good to His people. And we doubt it. Unbelief. But any faith that is real faith, as Peter puts it, 
This one who was overcome with unbelief, as Peter puts it, it is precious faith. It's valuable faith. It's genuine. No matter how small you might feel, your faith is as you sit here in this meeting tonight and as I've just, for just a few moments, rehearsed some of the ways that we actually act out our unbelief. You've just felt, well, that's just me. That's just me over. I am here to tell you, it might be you, you over a million times, but the faith that you have is still real. Does not matter how small it is. Let me say in the first place under this heading, the Father's faith was real. The smallest amount of saving faith brings the soul to Christ and into eternal union with Him. The smallest amount of faith brings the soul into union with Jesus Christ. It's a union that is eternal, can't be broken. The fact is, when we were first saved, all we had was little faith. That's all we had. But it was enough faith to save us. It was enough faith to open our eyes to see Jesus Christ. It was enough faith to open our eyes to see His hand reached out to us and offering us a free salvation. It was enough to open our ears to hear Him say, Come to me, and we came to Him. And by the hand of faith we reached out and we took what He offered us. It was only tiny faith, but that little faith wonderfully, gloriously, forever changed us. We were born again by the Spirit of God. The Holy Ghost gave us that grace, gave us that faith, put life into us, and brought us to Christ. It's, it's not the degree of your faith that saved you. It was the grace of God acting through that faith that the Holy Ghost gave you. That's what saved you, the grace of God. You may feel yourself tonight to be so tiny in faith, but you're as much a member of Christ's body as Moses, as Abraham, as David, as John, as Paul, as any of the most eminent saints that have ever walked the face of the earth, you are as much a member of the body of Christ. It's true, I admit to you, that the believer who is strong in faith lays hold of Jesus Christ and His promises with a stronger and a steadier grip than the believer that staggers and doubts and trembles. I grant you that. It's inevitable. But both of them lay hold on Christ. And more significantly, Christ lays hold of both of them. That's the gospel. That's the good news. It's not how strong my grip is of Christ. It's not my hold of him, it's his hold of me. And that's what I must believe when I'm facing an impossible situation. That means that we have as much a share in and a right to, a right to all the blessings and privileges that flow from our union with Christ. See, unbelief will, I'll talk more about this in a moment, but unbelief is surely going to take us down the path where we live like we're spiritual paupers. When the Word of God says and the Gospel declares that all that's Jesus Christ belongs to His people, all that is Christ is mine, all that is Christ is yours, this isn't fairy tale. 
This is reality. All the riches of Jesus Christ are mine because I am in Him. He is my living head. And I am I'm given the privilege, not just the privilege, I am given the authority and the right to claim them and to plead with God for them, to give them to me in more measure. Little faith won't do that, you see. It's just racked by unbelief. You know that even when your faith is at its lowest ebb, your sins are as much forgiven by God as the strongest believer. When you have fallen, as we discussed, preached this past Lord's Day, you feel so full of unbelief. Well, you may be. But it doesn't require great amounts of faith to find forgiveness. All it requires is that you go to the Lord believing, simply believing. He said, confess, and I'll forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Whosoever. Not whosoever has great or strong faith shall receive remission of sins. Now, a strong faith a strong faith will have more assurance that his sins are forgiven and all those other blessings that go along with that when you are assured that you've been pardoned, you've been forgiven by God, he's accepted you, he's justified you. That, that's true. But the degree of the forgiveness which is complete has nothing to do with the degree of our faith. And the Word of God goes so far as to point out that faith, whether it is weak or strong, indicates that you are one of God's elect. You wonder about that. Am I one of His elect? Acts chapter 13, verse 48. As many as were ordained to eternal life, that's election. As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. There's the indicator. It might be a little tiny faith, but you know what it says? God chose you. He elected you. You're his. No matter how small your faith is. The election was not based on your degree of faith. It was based on his purpose to save you from your sins. And unbelief is a sin. And thank God Christ died for our unbelief. Second thought under this. Though his father's faith was weak and small, it gave clear evidence that it was real. Why do I say that? Well, in the first place, it was little faith. He, had, he acknowledged it, this unbelief. But it melted his heart and made him weep. For that state, for his boy, for the needed hand. Whether that weeping was over the sense of his own sinfulness in doubting the Lord, because I said he saw it now, 
it hit him like a ton of bricks, what he had been saying. Or it was because the mercy that God, that Christ was showing him, or some combination thereof, the fact of the matter is that such a melting of heart never had taken place on either account if it wasn't true faith. This is faith at work. This is faith acting. He didn't get angry. Jesus said, bring him to me. Right? And they bring him to him, and what begins to happen? The spirit, the demon within him, just attacked. Threw him to the ground. He's foaming at the mouth, writhing. What does Christ do? Mark, who loves the word straightway, did not say, straightway he cast the demon out. You know what he does? He asks the father a question. How long has this been going on? Stop, let, let that just sink in. He did not get angry. My son is writhing there. What does it matter how long it's going on? He did not walk away and give up hope. But his heart melted. There was a reason the Lord asked him that question. I want you to rehearse before me how bad this is. How long has this been going on since he was a child? The Greek means a little, little boy. Demon possessed since he was a little boy. Satan starts early in life. He sees him. And he's broken. Faith brought that about. It was little faith, but it opened his eyes to see the sin of unbelief that was still there. Help thou mine unbelief. It's one of those ironic things you know about real faith. Even though it may be ever so small, it has this ability to detect, to discern unbelief in the heart. You see, a real unbeliever cannot discern that. Unbelief blinds them because they don't have faith. It's faith that opens the eyes. It's faith that opens the understanding. But he saw it. He confessed it. Remember that when you are so overcome by that sense of unbelief and you feel that maybe I'm not even a believer. Oh my, what opposite is true. It's the real believer that sees the unbelief that's there. Not the unbeliever. He would know. He would know what it is. Thirdly, it was little faith through, but that little faith brought him to Christ to plead for his help. 
He knew he couldn't help his boy. It was beyond his power. He found that the disciples, none of them could help his demon-possessed child. And he found something else that he couldn't do. He could not remove that unbelief in his heart that was getting in the way of his boy being healed. That's why he said, help, Lord, my unbelief. I don't have the power to overcome it. It was this small, feeble faith that moved him to plead with Christ for help. He knew that none but Christ could help him. Now that's real faith. Small, struggling faith, but real. Has that not been your experience, child of God? Even when your faith has seemed to to you to be non-existent or you have felt that you, you were that bruised reed and smoking flax. You were so weak. All it would take is one little, one more little thing to go wrong and you'd be broken entirely. That you are the smoking flax. It wouldn't take much to put out that little tiny spark that was in your heart. And you fell on your face before God and all you could say was, Lord, help me. Help me. Have you not been there? That's all the words you can say. Help me. You know what's interesting? It was a Syrophoenician woman who came about her demon-possessed daughter to Jesus Christ. And you find out she was a woman of great faith. And you know what she said after the disciples Go away. Christ says, not a word to her. She just fell at his feet and she said, Lord, help me. That's real faith. Whether it's a woman of great faith or this father with weak faith, it brought him to Christ to cry for help. Isn't that another indication that his father's faith, though weak, was real? Not only did it reveal that there was a battle in his soul between faith and unbelief, but that it had given him a desire for more faith. Only real faith does that. Only real faith causes a battle in the heart with unbelief. A conflict. If there's no real faith, there's no real battle. 
and you want more faith. And I stress this because one of the enemies of faith that is always found walking hand in hand with it is doubt. The devil is always trying to get the believer to to doubt the word of God. To doubt his promises. So that he would cast away his confidence in the Lord. And that's why Paul wrote that letter to the Hebrews who were going through some very difficult situations. Cast not away thy confidence which hath great recompense of reward. He knew what the devil was about. He wanted them to cast it away. Satan is a master. He's a master at praying on the faith of God's people, using it as a means to leave Christ's people defeated and discouraged and depressed and in despair. That's what he does. I'm only standing here tonight on the authority of God's word, and I am telling you, Satan is a liar, and he is the father of all lies. You cannot believe a word that comes out of his mouth. Your faith may be small, but thank God it's real. It's true, as seen by this father's true faith. Now, lest you think that I want to leave you content with little faith, allow me to point out in the second place, though his faith was real, his unbelief was the cause of needless fear and sorrow. It was real. But it was the cause of needless, needless fear and sorrow. Try to imagine again the scene in your mind's eye. Christ has come down from the mount. He sees this dispute going on between the Sadducees, the scribes, and and, and his disciples. He wants to know what it's all about. This father steps forth. He says, I've got a demon-possessed son. I came to your disciples, and they couldn't help him. Christ says, oh, Faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? Then he says, bring him to me. You can only imagine that the heart of this father must have leapt for joy. Now there's a glimmer of hope. Jesus has come. When Jesus comes, the tempter's power is broken. When Jesus comes, the tears are wiped away. He takes the gloom and fills the soul with glory. For all is changed when Jesus comes to stay. Jesus came. Now there's a glimmer of hope. As we saw, as soon as they brought the boy to Christ, Demon immediately throws him to the ground in a violent convulsion. He's rolling around. 
foaming at the mouth. Christ asked how long this has been going on. And after saying it, it's began since he was a little boy. He describes how the demon sought to kill him by drowning him or casting him into fire. You see actually how heartless and ruthless Satan is to take a little boy and to try to drown him or to cast him into the fire? No doubt the father's heart is breaking as he reflects on how long this has been going on and how the disciples could not, they could not heal him and now here he is wallowing and he says, if you can do anything, please help us. If you can do anything, don't you? It's been going on for this long. He's done this and that. Nevertheless, if thou canst. The word nevertheless is a strong word that could be translated, or I should say but, but if you can do anything. But, nevertheless is the word. It's really bad, he's saying. It's really bad. It's going on for a long time. Your disciples couldn't deal with it. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Nevertheless, in spite of all of that, if you can do anything, help us. Now, that was faith speaking. Yep, it was, it, it was weak, but it was faith. Yet... The Lord Jesus Christ knew that unbelief was holding back this man from experiencing what faith would give him, what a faith, a greater faith in Christ would give him, that would give him that peace of mind and the confidence that he could enjoy at that point in time when everything seemed hopeless. He knew that. When the Lord pointed out his unbelief, he wept. I, I, I can only gather that the weeping wasn't going on right then and there because it said he wept. He saw that his unbelief could be the very thing that was now in the way of seeing his son healed. Unbelief was the problem. And brothers and sisters, that's exactly what unbelief does with all of us. It's the cause of needless fear and needless sorrow. Just, just, just clear the decks. Take away everything else. It's not this or that or the other thing. It is simply unbelief. In spite of being true believers, our unbelief can cause you and can cause me and has done it. Over the years, we've walked with God, many needless tears, many needless sorrows, many sleepless nights. If the just, the righteous, live by faith, and that's not simply a reference to getting eternal life, being saved. It's talking about the life that is lived in this world the life of walking with God, the life of experiencing the power of God and the joy of the Lord. If the just shall live by faith, 
If faith indeed is the victory that overcometh the world, if without faith it is impossible to please God, then how much do we suffer and how much do we groan because of the unbelief that's in our hearts? We must not give ourselves a pass. I am not going to stand here tonight and give you or myself a pass and just uh, water it down. It was unbelief in the heart of Eve that lie at the root of her departure from God. Matthew Henry, in that famous quote in his commentary, said, Unbelief is the seedbed of all sin. And it is. Unbelief brought the sorrow and pain and tears into the world, her world and our world. Think for a moment with me just about how and why this sin of unbelief leaves us so weak and so sad and so fearful and so paralyzed when it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to just try to eke out a Christian existence. It doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to wake up in the morning and just hope we can get through the day. There is a joy unspeakable and full of glory. There is a confidence in Jesus Christ that won't be shaken by the storms of life. There is a power that can face the adversary, that can fight the good fight and stand up for Christ and stand out for Christ and not always be afraid what's going to happen next, what's going to happen tomorrow, and what if this happens and what if that happens. And we go on endlessly and endlessly playing that what-if game. There is a faith that we as God's people can have, can enjoy. And if you're sitting there right now and you're saying in your mind, not me, brother. You are listening to the liar from hell. It's unbelief talking. It is rank unbelief talking. I am telling you now, I am telling you now, there is a faith a faith that I guess you've never dreamed possible for you. But you need to see. You need to see how it leaves us so weak and sad. What it does that gets in the way of living by faith. First, and I guess foremost, this sin of unbelief greatly dishonors the Lord. There is no one who is more worthy of our trust than God. I would trust your minister with my life. I am not exaggerating. But he is nothing in comparison to the trust 
I put in God. No one is more worthy of our trust. Yet unbelief makes God out to be one who just jerks our chains and plays with us and gives promises that he never intended to fulfill. Surely we realize that when the Lord brings us to see our unbelief, it grieves us. Just like it grieved this father when he saw his unbelief. We don't want to dishonor the Lord. We would say it honestly. Oh, for grace to trust Him more. It is faith that brings us nearer and nearer. How many times have we sung that hymn? I think too often without really thinking about what we're asking. I want to get nearer to you. Nearer. Closer in my walk, closer in knowing your ways, closer in that love relationship, closer in walking in obedience to you, closer. But let me tell you, brothers and sisters, that closer walk is a walk of faith. Our unbelief, however, grieves the Spirit and quenches His work dampens his influences. We can't give ourselves a pass. Our cry as his people tonight must be, Lord, I believe, help mine unbelief. I just wonder, why, why, I just wonder, you know, if we, all of us here tonight who know the Lord, went out from this meeting and got home and just began to cry to God with tears. Lord, I believe, help mine unbelief. What would begin to happen? I know what happened here. Christ intervened. There was deliverance of a soul from Satan. What just might the Lord do when he sees us all grieved because our unbelief dishonors him? Unbelief, moreover, damages our communion with God. Consider what unbelief does to the place of prayer. Unbelief. We can pray in unbelief. We can pray daily in unbelief. We don't come with confidence when we pray. In spite of the fact that after setting forth Jesus Christ as the great high priest and assuring us that although he was tempted in all points, yet as we are, he is without sin. Therefore, come boldly, come confidently, come with liberty to the throne of grace, that you might find mercy and grace to help in time of need. But when unbelief walks with us to the place of prayer, and we don't ask believing, we don't come with confidence. 
assurance that we have God's ear. We don't come asking for great things. And yet the hymn says, you're coming to a king, large petitions with you bring. But a little faith makes for little petitions. Well, maybe God will answer that one. It's not a big one. When we're coming to the God of all the earth, with whom nothing is impossible, Some of you have wayward children and they've been that way for a long time. Oh, don't just be content with asking God to save them. Pray for specific things to be done. Specific things to be done. Great things. You know, faith has a very wonderful, sanctified, sanctified imagination. This unbelief lies at the root. To get the blessing from God's word, as we could, because the word is not mixed with faith, if I can borrow from Hebrews. What help are we going to get from the promises, from the ordinances, from the preaching of God's word, from all the means of grace when unbelief holds sway? It's an evil thing, unbelief. It's an evil thing. Thirdly, unbelief opens the door to Satan's temptations. He has, we know from Ephesians 6, he has many fiery darts that he throws at Christ's people. And the one thing that Paul says that quenches them is what? The shield of faith. That's what quenches the fiery darts of the devil. Lift it up and his darts are quenched. Whatever he throws at you, faith answers. And since faith is that victory that overcomes the world, what does it say about the effect that unbelief has when we come in this battle and the fiery darts come at us, those doubts and those fears and, and those worries just are thrown one after another and there's unbelief that seems that it's too heavy a shield to lift. What happens to us? We fall to pieces. We expect the worst. We get depressed. We give up. We're afraid. It's unbelief that leads us to impatience, to discouragement. When the thing we have prayed for doesn't come to pass when we think it ought to. It is unbelief that will lead us to take things into our own hands, to try and deliver ourselves from the fear that has gripped us. And the simple answer to the fear that has gripped us is faith. Faith in Christ. Faith in His promises. Faith in the truths of the gospel. That's the answer. You stop playing the what-if game. 
the, 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 the dogs, I think that's the word that Spurgeon used, the dogs, the howling dogs at the feet of God's people lie silent when faith comes to the fore. Unbelief, it does something else to the church. It kills her vision for the work of God. Why pray for revival? Don't believe it could ever come. Things are too bad, things are too dark. Have you ever found yourself that thought crossing your mind? I have. You want to know why? Because I was looking at the darkness, the impossibilities, the difficulty, and not looking in faith to the God with whom nothing is impossible. It kills vision. It kills your vision for your own usefulness in the work of God. Oh, I could never do that. Really? Really? That's unbelief talking. It's unbelief talking. You can do whatever the Lord leads you to do. Right? You can go wherever the Lord sends you. You can give up whatever God tells you to give up. You can sacrifice whatever he tells you to sacrifice. Do you believe that? You can if you believe in the God who does things that men think impossible because his hand has not waxed short. It's our unbelief that's in the way. Unbelief lies at the root of our fear of death. So many Christians, it seems, are afraid to die. Why? I'm not saying you want to run out in the street and have a car run over you, but really, why? Would you be afraid to die? You ever read the story of one of the old covenanters who was going to be executed for being a preacher of the gospel? They used an axe. Its name was the Iron Maiden. The executioner would lift it and lop off the head. Don't remember his name, it's not important, it's what he did on the day of his execution. Got up on the platform, took the axe. He said, this is the sweetest maiden ever I kissed. It being my departure from this world of sin and my entrance into heaven. Isn't that wonderful? That was faith talking. Unbelief 
is the source of being afraid to die. I understand it's that unknown, what is death like? No one's come back to tell us. It doesn't make any difference what the journey between the moment your soul leaves your body and enters heaven, it doesn't make any difference. The fact is, you're with the Lord. We have much need to take up the cry of this Father, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Final thought. Christ brings his people into impossible circumstances in order to grow their little faith. This was all planned, you know, before the world's foundation. This was going to happen on this day at this hour with this man and with this son. It was planned by the Almighty. Christ knew it was waiting for him at the bottom of the mount. We've been looking at this struggle between faith and unbelief, uh, a struggle that is common to all believers. One old Puritan put it like this, There is not a heart so holy in all the world, but is in some degree tainted and infected with this disease. Job, Abraham, David, Peter, every, every believer in Scripture you can see the taint that's there. But why, why did God bring these people into impossible situations? In order to strengthen and deepen their faith. We hate them. We try to avoid them like the plague. We would run away from them as much as we could. And that's nothing but unbelief acting. When the thing is, as James said, reckon it to be all joy when you fall into diverse trials. Knowing this, that the trying or the testing of your faith worketh patience, and let patience have her perfect, her perfecting work, that ye may be perfect and entire, complete, entire, lacking nothing, a well-rounded, mature Christian, well-rounded spiritually, not an overabundance of this particular fruit or that particular fruit, but it's well-rounded, the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the goodness, the meekness, the temperance. In other words, you look more and more like Jesus Christ. And how is it done? Through the trying of your faith bringing you to situations where you have to exercise your faith. You have to trust God. They seem impossible. And you know what happens when it's all said and done? The faith grows. It grows. If it hadn't been for these things, our faith would never develop. And we would still be babes, babes, and our faith in God. That struggle we have looked at tonight will continue. Doesn't matter how young you are as a child of God 
or how many other struggles and impossible situations you faced as an elderly believer. It's always there. Always. Bless God, there's faith that lays hold of the Savior. Just tell the Lord Jesus, Lord, I believe your word, but deal powerfully with my unbelief. Will you all, will you all go home? There you switch the light out tonight. Begin to pray. Lord, I believe. Whatever the situation, church level, personal level, family level, I believe you, Lord, but I need you to help my unbelief. I have no power. See what God will do. Just prove him. Will you do that? Not for me. For yourself. God read his word. It's on our hearts for his namesake. Could we bow our heads please in prayer? Our God, we thank thee for speaking to us tonight in the still, small voice. We thank thee, Lord, that thou love, thou dost love us as much, whether our faith is strong and great, or if it is so, so tiny. But Lord, thou hast put a challenge before us this evening. Thou hast shown us the mighty things that faith can do and the awful damage that unbelief can create. So in our Savior's name, send us home with this renewed desire to prove thy promises thy faith. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen and amen.